absolutely nothing to do with Palm Sunday. Um, directly but indirectly, it kind of does. And so some of this comes from a teaching I'd heard uh, last year sometime, and it's not a part of the series. It's just kind of a standalone talk. And uh, I had been waiting for an opportunity to, to, to write more on it and to talk about it. And so today uh, was the day uh, several months ago um, when I knew that we would be ending our previous series and, and Easter was coming. And so today was just the day that I landed on. Um, and honestly, when I looked at the calendar, I didn't realize this was Palm Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I know that doesn't say anything good about me either. Um, but um, we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament about probably one of the most iconic stories from the Old or the most iconic characters from the Old Testament. He was a person that lived most of his life larger than life. He was a person that um, everybody in his town knew his name. He was a person that almost everything he did of significance um, came with fireworks. He was a man that was incredibly tortured in his mental um, and emotional life, and that played out in, in his behavior. Now, it, it, unless you understood what his issues were, you didn't necessarily see that playing out um, because what he did was larger than life. And so today we're going to look at a, um, just a, a small portion of the life of Samson. And we're going to look at where it picks up after a traumatic event in his life. Um, and what had happened was um, he had um, been engaged, or he had married a, a woman and he, who was not an Israelite, and her um, father, because Samson was crazy a lot of times, uh, Samson had just gone off and went back home kind of, and, her, uh, and his former father, and his father-in-law uh, let one of um, um, her own kinsmen marry her. So Samson comes back to town, and he says, hey, where's my wife? And his father-in-law says, a funny story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we pick up the life of Samson in Judges chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. And Samson said to them, this time, will I, have a, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Then he fastened a torch to every one of their, uh, every one of their tails. Verse 5, he lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Okay. I can't imagine there were 300 foxes in the entire country, let alone catching 300. So um, uh, let's go back to the, the first set of verses there if we can. Samson said to them, and I don't know if you can tell it's highlighted there in boldest white print, but it's Samson says this time. Catch that? Okay. So um, part of my, one of my many dysfunctions is that um, I ask questions a lot. And when something doesn't make sense, I ask questions about it. And I will do that ad nauseum in my own head and in almost every context. And so Samson says, this time I have a right to get even. So it hints a little bit at Samson's mental state. So what he just said was, there are other times I did stuff, I got even, and I didn't have the right to get even. Catch that? Because this time he says he does. Other times he did stuff he knew he had no right to do it, but he did it anyway. Um, so there are other actions and behaviors in Samson's life 
that if you read his backstory, um, which there's a lot of it, and also there's some stuff that happens after what we're going to talk about today, but Samson was incredibly unstable, and God happened to use that to do some really uh, incredible things. Now, let's get to the foxes. You understand there's a, there's a point in Samson's life where he goes completely off the reservation, where he looks at this situation and says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and catch 300 foxes. I've only seen, I'm 48 years old, I've only seen, and I've been in the woods a lot, I've only seen three foxes in my entire life. And I've been in the woods a lot. He finds 300 and catches them. It's one thing to see 300 out there. They're just out there. And then he catches them. I want you to uh, imagine what is happening in his head and in his heart that he is so vengeful. Um, we're not talking about chihuahuas. We're not talking about pets. We're not talking about he went to pet land and bought a 100 poodles. We're talking 300 wild canines that he catches with his hands. And then that's not enough. He ties their tails together and sticks a torch in between them. Now, what I've seen from dogs is that most dogs don't like fire. So that's not enough. Samson is so consumed with vengeance that he lights the torches on fire between two wild dogs and cuts them loose. Okay, so when you get around the sadistic, severely mental problems that Samson has, that's brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant. He burns down all their stuff. Totally burns it down. And in his mind, he's saying, well, I'm justified. Because somebody did this to me, this time it makes it okay to do this to them. So, there must have been other stuff that Samson looked at in his life and said, well, this is okay for me to do now. Um, for whatever reasons, he justifies his behavior. And, and we all understand at the, at the end of our day, there is no justification for bad behavior. It's a justification for sin, no matter what happened to us in our lives. So when you get to verses 6 to 9, the Philistines, after they see everything burning to the ground around them, say, who in the world did this? Because that's a feat to burn up all their stuff. All their crops, their vineyards, their all, everything is burned to the ground. So they ask, who did this? Who did they ask? The Hebrews. They say, who did this? They were told Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his friends. The Philistines went and burned him and fathered the dead. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. So his own people turn on him and say, hey, look. Um, hey, it was Samson. It wasn't me. It was Samson. Samson did it. Do you have a tattletale in your house? Right? Did you grow up with a tattletale? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, they, so they throw Samson under the bus, and that's an interesting dynamic because the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites. 
They were rulers over them. And so when they were going to point a finger, they were going to point a finger at Samson. And so that's what they did. Samson response to, to what they did to, to his estranged wife and, and her family was, I will never stop giving you money. I will make you suffer. I will make you pay. And so uh, that's what he sets out to do. Now, um, <laughs> verse 8, just in case you think Samson bluffed, he doesn't. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in the cave and the rock of Etham. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. Okay, so let's stop right there. Um, so Samson, Samson begin, has this process of, of self-destructive behavior, and it leaks out into people in his life. And then, I understand this is not a Palm Sunday kind of talk, um, but, um, yeah, um, I, I don't have an explanation other than I think this is what I'm supposed to talk about. And so, um, he, so he attacks them. I mean, he goes crazy on them, kills them. I mean, just kills so many of them. And then his next move is to go to a cave. So here's what we understand about human behavior a little bit, is that the worse our behavior is, the more we want to hide, the more we want to isolate ourselves. And so he goes and lives in a cave where we understand that nothing good happens in caves. Nothing good happens in caves. He goes and he hides. He doesn't go back to the men of Judah. He doesn't find the right people. He, he just goes and he runs and hides in a cave. So... Um, there's some interesting things I think that 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 come about um, because this is he has set so many things in motion. His statement about vengeance is very very crucial, a and it's crucial because of this: once we set our course on vengeance, once we cast our ship and we pull anchor, and that's the way we go, that's our decision. The pain will last longer than it has before. It's an effort. You will never, ever feel better by getting vengeance. And some of us know that. Some of us has lived part of that in our lives. Somebody hurt you, you want to make them hurt worse. Once we set our course on vengeance, the pain will last longer than it has before. So, Understand, Samson is now in a cave. Now, your cave is probably not a literal cave. I hope not. I mean, if you have a cave on your property, that's really pretty cool. Um, and you should invite us there for stuff. But um, typically, caves aren't, aren't uh, the healthiest places to be uh, for several reasons. One, they're dark, they're cold, they're moldy, they're musty, and you're alone. And your cave is probably not that physical cave out somewhere. It's just a cave in your heart, a cave that you choose to be in. Uh, for whatever reason. And so as Samson is in this cave, some things happen outside the cave that impact him desperately. One is this. 3,000 men from Judah, his family, um, went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, 3,000 of his blood relatives come down to Samson. Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Okay. Here's my opinion about Samson as a human being, <clears throat> as a man. 
I do not think Samson was Andre the Giant. Anything about that? Anybody old enough to know who Andre the Giant was? Thank you. Not my kind of people. Um, I don't think he was Andre the Giant or Big John Studd or Kevin Nash or am I hitting close to home? Anybody who knows who those wrestlers were? Okay. So um, I, I do not think that's what Samson physically looked like. I think Samson probably was smaller than the average man. Here's why. If Andre the Giant at one point in his life ripped the gates off a city and carried them off, people would go, that makes total sense. If Andre the Giant or Kevin Nash or uh, any of these people that come to mind when you think of a huge human being, if any of those people did that kind of incredibly physical strength kind of moves, you would go, I get it. So it would have been more that Samson got credit than the Lord got credit for what he did. So I think Samson was probably smaller than the average guy. I don't think he was a phys- he, he was not a physical specimen that you looked at Samson and went, yeah, don't, don't do him in an alley. I think he was probably smaller than the average person. So his, his relatives come down, to, uh, come down to the cave, and they say, what have you done to us? Don't you know that the Philistines rule over us, and they oppress us, and they're, and they're taskmasters, and, they, and we work for them. We're basically indentured servants to them. Don't you know that? And Samson says, well, man, I just got into that. They said to him, and this is in verse 12, they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Okay, now you understand, this is a group of men who, have, who know what Samson does. Right? They know he just caught all these foxes. They know he has ripped gates off of cities. They know he has done this stuff. They know he's killed thousands of people. And they say, um, we've come to tie you up. Okay, so you can imagine how this goes. Uh, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourself. Agreed, they answered, and we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with sinew ropes and led him up from the rock. Um, Samson at this point doesn't really know where this is going. He knows that he's done some crazy stuff before, but how this is going to play out he does not yet know. And that's why he says to his, his relatives, hey, look, um, I'm willing to go along with this. You guys just don't kill me. Here's what I see about Samson's relatives, and it's this very simple statement. They had more fear of the threat from the outside than they had hope from the victory from the inside. They were more afraid of Philistines and, and that threat than they were hopeful that Samson could help them. Let that sink in for me. I let this sink into me all the time. So Samson says, okay, that's fine. It, understand the mindset about Samson of his, of his family. 3,000 men come to the cave. I don't know how big the cave was. I don't know if they stood in line. I don't know if they stood out on the hill. But 3,000 men come down to talk to Samson. Those men were more afraid of an outside threat than they had hope 
inside this room. So whether it's in your home or this church or your job or wherever it is, I, I challenge us, I challenge myself about my focus, about what I pay attention to, because I can easily be overwhelmed with knowing my personality from outside threats rather than the victory that you have spread out. So, they tie him up with two new ropes. I'm sure there was a thought process as, let's not use old ropes because they could be frayed. We don't want this to go bad for us. So they tie him up with two new ropes, and as they approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. Shouting the obvious thing. Gotcha now. Um, it's about time. Whatever it is. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. So now it's about to get real. Now I want you to see what is not seen in what's about to happen. So he, he, as they approached, as they, the 3,000 of his family, men of Judah and Samson, approached Lehi, this hill, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. And the ropes that were binding him, the new ropes, just kind of fell off like burnt leaves. Okay? Now the faces of everyone there have changed. And what went from a victory party is um, bring me my brown pants. For those of you who don't know that joke, somebody else will tell you some other time. Now I want you to notice... Um, let's look at this next verse, and then we'll talk about what, what has happened that we do not see. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey sawbone, I've made donkeys of them. If you read the King James, it's probably funnier. Um, with a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. Now let's go back to that previous verse. And I, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Where are the men from Judah? Ropes fall off. I envision in my head all the men from Judah go, well, it's time to go. Uh, I think our job is done. Uh, we should go before we get any of it. And so that's what they do. They are nowhere to be seen. Um, up until I started reading this verse in, in, in preparing for this, I maybe you grew up in a, in a church context or you have a children's Bible at home, and maybe they showed Samson a, a cartoon drawing of Samson with a jawbone. And it's always a skeleton. Have you ever seen that? Right, maybe you have a kid's Bible at home. It's always a skeleton. That's not what this says. I think I've lived my whole life thinking it was some skeleton jawbone laying there, you know, with all the other parts of it, um, and that's the part he picks up. That's not what he does. I had, until I started reading this, I, had, I think I lived my whole life thinking that's what happened. But it was a fresh one. I don't really know what that means, um, but it obviously wasn't skeletal. Um, so... He finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. And he says, you know, with the, with the jawbone of a donkey, I made donkeys of these men, and he kills a thousand of them. Again, the men of Judah are nowhere to be found. They, they, they turn tail and run. Now, here's what follows from this point on is a teaching that I heard from somebody else, and I've never, ever considered this in my entire life. 
and I've been heavily persuaded for the bad. And that's this statement. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth-Lehi. Ramoth-Lehi, by definition, means jawbone hill. That's what that means. The point I want to make to you about this last verse in this context is this. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. Let's talk about what we do with trophies. Anybody have trophies at home? You have kids at home that have trophies? Okay. We obviously we, those are your trophies because we give them. Okay. Yeah, we get it, right? So you've got a trophy case full of stuff. Now, if you're watching the Masters right now, at least turn the volume down um, because somebody will win something today, right? Um, Samson kills a thousand men. Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson, kills a thousand men, and with the tool that he used, he throws it away. That is not what we do with victories. That is not what we do with trophies. That is not what we do with success. We have it gold-plated, right? If we were Samson, in our house, there'd be a mantle, right, fireplace below it, and above the mantle would be the gold-plated jawbone of a donkey. We'd put a plaque under it that says, on this date, you know, and however many BC, Samson, you know, we'd give all the details. So that every time we invited somebody over, they could see our trophy. That's what we do with trophies. That's how we handle victories. That's what we do. So there's something intrinsic, I believe, um, underneath the surface for how we handle victories in our lives. I think that I learn, historically I've learned more than people on how they handled victories and how they handled successes. Were they able to be humble? Were they able to give credit to other people? Were they able to say, you know, I could not have done this alone? Were they able to say, you know, if it wasn't for this person in my life, it wasn't for that person in my life? Um, I, I heard Evan tell a friend of mine recently where he got his middle name from. Unprompted from me, he told them where he got his name from, his middle name. Um, I I like to hear that story, whether it's your story or somebody else's story, or where we find the source of where people got their successes from. Now, what we do with trophies can be can be telling of ourselves. So. You know, I, I have a few personal trophies, nothing big. It's stuff that probably I've won on the pig sheds or whatever, but um, but they're in my office. You can get them in my office. You can see them on the shelf. They're covered in dust. And honestly, I couldn't tell you by looking at them. I couldn't tell you. Like some of them are from Rob's kids for sure that that he helped with and stuff. But uh, the successes in your life, you carry those around as trophies. So whether it comes to church life or your personal life, church life historically um, is is easy to understand. If you grew up in a church that uh, is an older traditional church, they've probably done vacation Bible school or all different kinds of things since Jesus rose from the dead. Right? I mean, they, this is all they know. This is what they've done forever. And even when it stopped working for them, they still do it. 
And so whether it's us having a Palm Sunday dinner or what other traditions, you know, in our short lifespan that we have, it's easy to look at those things as trophies. And we don't realize that as long as we drag that jawbone around, God can't put anything else in our hands. And we'll drag it around, drag it around, drag it around. Now, here's the interesting part for me, among others. Um, it was a fresh jawbone, meaning there was probably still body parts on it. You know about that? Okay, I know it's disgusting. I'm sorry, but uh, um, right? <laughs> but understand, it wasn't the best-smelling thing that God put into his hand to use. Or to touch, thank you. You can elaborate. I'll give you the mic. I mean, you probably... You've thought about more of this, the disgusting parts of this than I have. But do, do you get that? So imagine that he carries that thing around all the time. He makes a holster for it, puts it on his hip. You know, he talks about it every place he goes, every person he meets. What is that? And it stinks because it's not the thing God tends to use next. And um, it's not an asset anymore. It doesn't serve the purpose that it once did. And so it's changed, and are we willing, as individuals or whatever part of your life that this fits into, are you willing to change it? Are you willing to accept and believe that God can do something different in you and the people sitting across from you or next to you? Are you holding on to whatever it was? Because as long as you hold on to whatever it was, that is all we will ever have. And you can fit that into every single story, every single iconic story in the Bible. It's the story of Moses standing at the burning bush and God saying, um, dude, you got to take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. So Moses doesn't argue. He takes his shoes off. The very next interaction is this. Moses, what's in your hand? Well, it's my staff, which is his identity. It's his purpose. It's his livelihood. It's everything about Moses. And God says, Moses, you need to chuck that down. And Moses could have easily said, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. This is how I make my living. This is how I get my identity. This is, how, this is what makes me feel safe. I can't throw it down. And you know the story. Hopefully Moses lays it on the ground and it turns into a snake. At that point, most of us run. That's not what we signed up for. It's not what we wanted to happen. We wanted to turn into a, a winning lottery ticket. We wanted it to turn into a bigger church. We wanted it to turn into success. We wanted to turn into victories. We wanted to turn into all different kinds of things that we wanted. And that's not what God did. And so it turns into a snake, and, and there's a later application for that in the life of Moses. And then God says, okay, go ahead and pick that up now. Pick that back up. I think most of us at that point would say, no, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll find another one. Uh, there's plenty of trees on my way back home. I'm not going to pick that stick up. That's not going to happen. But he does. And at that point forward, Moses' life is better than it has ever been. But only because he was willing to lay something down. He was willing to let something fall from his hand. Because until we let that thing fall from our hand, God cannot do anything else in us. And most of us spend our entire lives holding on for guesswork to what we think our life should look like. And we spend a lot of time like Samson. And we don't get what we want. And instead we get hurt. And it's not always mean or cruel. Sometimes it's just small and petty and gossipy and backbiting. Sometimes it is mean and cruel. And so Samson, in a brief moment of humility and brilliance, 
Rosemary versus Rod Dredge will be incredibly interesting. He doesn't have it gold-plated. He doesn't take it and get his name etched on it. He doesn't do any of those things. He understood in that moment that this is what God did now, and as long as I hold on to this thing, God's going to come through for us and give us an answer. Samson's life hinged on saying, good. Now, Samson judged, for lack of a better term, over the nation of Israel for about 20 years. In that 20 years, he did some crazy stuff. Uh, a lot of it self-destructive. Samson was um, very um, self-absorbed. Uh, Samson most, most of the time only saw his life in a very, very small tunnel. And because of that, he ruined a lot of things in his life. And maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. And so in Samson's life, the next events that happen is he finds um, a woman named Delilah. Um, there's a song about her. Um, and so because of Samson's dysfunction, because of Samson's brokenness and all of this stuff in his life, Samson ends up losing his life. There's seven um, suicides recorded in Scripture, and Samson's one of them. Samson's probably the most famous um, because at, at this moment, I said seven, but I think I'm, I think I'm off. I think there's more. Um, so they capture Samson. They cut his hair, um, which is not the source of his strength. I understand the, the thinking that goes behind that. But the source of Samson's strength was always the power of the Lord came upon him. But the, his hair was certainly a symbol because of the vow that he took. So at Samson's death, he is led blind um, into the temple of Dagon, which is a Philistine temple. It's a fish god. Um, and I know that none of us worship fish gods today. I, I like fish. Um, but I don't necessarily. You know, uh, where I was on vacation is the birthplace of the modern shrimping business in, in, the, in the United States. It's called Amelia Island. That's where the shrimping industry got started in modern world. Um, and my friend does not like shrimp. Um, and so I find that bizarrely ironic. Um, but Samson goes into this temple, and he's led by this little boy. He's blind by now. His hair has grown back, and he is a shell of what he used to be. And as he is walked through the temple, and he says to the little boy, hey, can you just lean me against these pillars? Where, wherever these pillars are, they'll hold this place up. So the little boy stops and gives him a break, and Samson prays a very simple prayer. He says, you know, Lord, um, avenge me now um, for these Philistines for making me look so foolish and so silly. And so he pulls the temple down. And he kills more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. So the, there's every Philistine lord was in that temple at the time. And Samson um, pulls the temple down like a dark tower of Babel. Now I understand that today is not your typical Palm Sunday talk. Um, and that really was not my plan when I, when I figured out that I was going to talk about this on Sunday and some in-between stuff. And so what I do understand is this, that if we flash forward to Palm Sunday again, because we started there, we went back in time, and now we're back in Palm Sunday. There's a whole group of people around Jesus who, walking into Jerusalem, did not get what was about to happen. That's not the plan they had in mind. They did not see their leader being beaten and crucified and hanging on a cross and think that, well, man, this was a good ride, but this is all over. That's not the, the deal they thought they signed up for, but that's the deal they got. 
And so as he rides in Jerusalem and all the people around are, are cheering and are excited and in the back of Jesus's mind, he knows that, yeah, but in a few short days, you're going to be all crucified. And then a few short days after that, I will rise from the dead. And that's why next week we will talk about the grave robbery and what that means for you personally and me. So if you have unmade plans for Easter, now you have plans for Easter, and if you want to figure out a way to invite somebody, there's a card on the table you can take and you can leave that um, or give that person somewhere and say, hey, this is our card. Now this is from our lucky team with us for our church family. And so um, I'm going to close in prayer. Matt is actually going to come and play whatever he's going to play up here. Um, It's going to sound really nice. I will have no idea what it is. Um, And while he comes to do that, Des, who we get to baptize today, is going to go change clothes. Um, And she's going to do that as quickly um, as she can, given her circumstances. And um, I'm pretty sure the water is more than lukewarm. Um, In all honesty, we did the best we could. So um, I'm going to pray. Matt's going to play. As soon as Des gets back in, um, we will um, uh, baptize and we'll pray over dinner or whatever, supper, uh, lunch, whatever we call it here in Northern Kentucky. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you show up in this space and we thank you that you love us and that you desire to use us for your glory and for your honor in a way that you decide and not we decide. Father, we ask specifically this morning about how we approach our victories and how we approach our successes and how that we are so eager to hold on to something maybe that you intend for us to lay down. And whether that's an attitude of our heart or an action or a behavior, Father, help us to have an attitude that understands that you will always do what's best for us, even if it's a way we don't understand, even if it's a way we don't like and we want to fight or rebel against, that we will trust you so that when we lay that thing down, when we empty our hands and ourselves of whatever that thing is that we have held on to, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, that you will use whatever it is next in our lives.